0: Welcome to a Redemption's Hill podcast. For more information about Redemption Hill, go to redemptionshill.com. It's good to see you. It's good to be with you. We are uh, in that tail end of summer together, and we're going to close out the book of, of Hebrews together. Uh, I think we've been there for 40-some-odd um, messages, a, a good little bit. Uh, so I'm praying that this uh, last message would cap off the reality of Jesus being uh, better, better than all things. That it would sink deep into our heart um, as we finish this today. So let's, let's read the text uh, together. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 20 through 25. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written you briefly, we may disagree on what briefly is, You uh, should know that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. Greet all your leaders and all the saints, those who come from Italy. Send your greetings. Grace be with all of you. This is the word of the Lord. Father, I pray that you would do your work through this. Uh, Spirit, we ask that you would come. Uh, We do not want to gather without you, uh, without you showing us the Savior, without you prodding our hearts, without you being the, uh, the paraclete who helps and teaches and encourages and challenges where needed. So come, our God be glorified, Jesus be made much of. We pray that in your name. Amen. So I will uh, never forget the first major trip that Allison and I took with Judah, our firstborn son. We decided that it would be smart to get on a plane and go to California. Um, and we also thought, uh, by, by we, uh, I mean one of us, that we should bring everything that an infant may ever possibly need with us, which um, was great. I learned quickly I never wanted to do that again. I sore off flying for quite some time. Uh, and I learned that I never wanted to do that again as I found myself lugging just a caravan of equipment through um, the airport. I think I had three suitcases and not small ones. I had a car seat, a pack-and-play, a hiking backpack a booster seat, and then my backpack all loaded down on me. I was a pack mule. I mean, it was, a, it was a system just to figure out how in the world do you take all of this stuff without falling over or, or destroying everyone in uh, your path? How do you pick it up and set it down? If you've ever gone through an airport, you know how many times you stop and go and stop and go. Lord knows how many times I had to execute picking up all of this stuff, let alone actually moving it through... The airport. We hadn't even hit our connection flight, and I was exhausted and probably not in the best mood, swearing that I would never, ever, ever do that. Again, we were still in our first kid, think you need the entire household mentality. Uh, that's where you bring things like bottle warmers on vacation. No one needs a bottle warmer on vacation. You bring every medicine that a child could possibly take, which interestingly is quite a bit. Uh, you bring 25 outfits in case you have 24 blowouts in a row. Uh, this is just the madness that we kind of went through, and what was behind all that overpacking though was was a bit of fear we were uh, not just her we were afraid that uh, there might be something that that we needed that we wouldn 't have, and, and we would just be ill equipped Allie was worried that we didn't if we didn 't have every single scenario triple confirmed and taken care of uh, that that maybe somehow we wouldn't have been as good of parents as we should be, or somehow we would just kind of mess the whole thing up. And that's why I would look like a pack mule going through the airport. I was the walking embodiment, if you've seen it over the last couple months. Have you seen that minivan that goes around town that has like eight foot of stuff hanging off of every single side? Like I don't know how they're not arrested, but I felt like the embodiment of that as I just carried all of this stuff through the airport. And that's not the only time that this scenario plays itself out. This one has nothing to do with Allie, and is all me. I started hunting again uh, last year, and I had this fear about being on a hunt or in the woods and not having something that I needed. So I I wanted every piece of equipment possible in case I had that 30-point buck, and then I just, oh, I wish I had that one other thing that I didn't. So I took four deer calls, rattlers, two knives, rangefinder, binoculars, Limsaw, saw, doe bleat hat, beanie, sunglasses, water bottle, thick coat, small coat uh, gloves, thick gloves. I guess I had a bow as, as well um, as I went into. I, I was like Boy Scout level prepared for anything that would come. But again, that, that type of preparation w- was due to a level of anxiety in me. I had this fear that I would end up not having what I need and I would fall short Uh, because of it. I wasn't really being thorough or responsible. Uh, I I was just worried, and that's what drove me to carrying probably more than stuff, more stuff than guys who go on like a week-long hunt in Colorado. I carried more than that into a a tree in Missouri for a couple hours, and again, it was anxiety that made me do it. I, I was afraid of not having something that I would need to function or finish the job, that I would not be equipped as necessary, and I would fail because of it. Uh, I wonder if you can relate to that uh, and this sentiment of over-preparation in any level of your life because you're a little bit worried uh, about not being prepared. I I know that some of you feel that because I've gone golfing with some of you guys, right? And I've seen uh, 30 golf clubs and 10 divot fixers and 50 golf balls and four golf cleaners. I would put 20 bucks that some of you have extra undies in your bag, like over-prepared to the max. Now it's one thing to have this fear of being ill-equipped to cause you to carry too many supplies into something that you do. But what about when that fear of being unprepared shifts out of the world of supplies and move to, to a personal level? What about that feeling of, of unprepar- preparation if it moves to the heart? What happens when it's not a worry of having too few of supplies, but you begin to wonder, now, if I don't have internally what it takes to succeed? What if I don't have the skills to pull this one thing off that I think that I need to do? What if I uh, don't have the means to finish? What if I don't have the, the patience or the, the persistence or the things that you say in the quiet? What if I don't have the character to do this? What if I don't have the wisdom to make the, the right decisions? And this type of fear, when it moves out of, of physical supplies and into a more personal way, it can be crippling because you can't carry another suitcase to make up for some internal ish, issue of uh, lethargy or persistence, right? You can't throw another supply into a backpack to all of a sudden give you character if it's lacking, and you can't carry another arrow to give you wisdom. It's a different issue altogether. And, and while it's true, some people exude this just weird level of, of self-confidence. You know, that's, that's true. Some people do. But psychologists have noted quite often that most of us or many uh, deal with this reoccurring theme called the imposter syndrome, where people of all wirings, all backgrounds, all educations, all jobs, all training levels, just all of it, continually manifest this belief that they're a fake and they're going to get found out because they're not prepared to do what's in front of them, that somehow they're going to be exposed for all of their shortfalls, fall on their face because they're the one around who doesn't actually have what it takes to get the job done. This worry worry of whether a person has uh, what they need to get the job done, this being equipped so we don't fall on our faces. It filters into our lives, but it also uh, filters into our faith on seasons of repeat. That's why I love the way that the author closes down the book of Hebrews by saying, hey, I want to talk about, before we finish, I want to talk about your equipping. I want to talk about the fear and anxiety that may come into your life of not being sure if you have what it takes to do what you're supposed to. I want to talk about that before I send you off. The context of the book of Hebrews, hopefully in almost a year, we have the general idea. A group of Christians are struggling to follow Jesus. Suffering was on their doorstep. They're in a hostile culture. They was suffering to follow Jesus. There was persecution for following Jesus. So they began to wonder, hey, can I believe in God in this old covenant way and leave the Jesus stuff behind? Because Jesus is what is walking in me into this tension in my world. So the author begins to say, no, no, you can't do that. Jesus is better than anything and everything, though. Even if you suffer at times, Jesus is, is worth it and he is good to his people. And remember, there's no other path. There's no other way to be redeemed. There is no other source of life Jesus is the way. So the entire book is a call to to hold fast even in the storm. Hold fast, this brave heart, like don't quit, don't let go, keep going. Hold fast even when it hurts or when you're tired or when you're just not sure what to do or you feel worn down. Hold on to the Jesus who has blazed a path for you already. But here's what I love. The author doesn't want you just to not leave. That's not the only goal. Hey, just hold on and get battered into oblivion for the rest of your days. The goal isn't that you become beaten like a pinata for following Christ. He lays out and reminds us the vision for following Jesus is better than that. So often we shrink down the Christian life into what we're avoiding, right? The, 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 the insurance eternally, hey, uh, we're going to hold on to Jesus and it's going to pay off way in the, in the future. But for right now, it's just going to be hard and, and, and difficult. That's not the reality of our faith. We're not just escaping judgment and wrath. We forget that we're called into the beauty of the kingdom of God and a life of freedom in the will of the Father now as redeemed sons and daughters who are set free from the problem of their sin. This closing section isn't a, a trivial, customary way of just saying, like, peace out, goodbye. The author is praying over the listeners and, and us as, as well that God will equip the saints with everything good. Not with some of the things, not with part of the things, not with 10% and you go procure the, the rest. That God will equip the saints with everything good so that they will be able to do his will and walk it out and please him with their lives. This is a major note to pay attention to. The author shows his cards to, to us. Uh, what the author wants and what he's calling us to is, again, not just to, to not leave. The goal, the touchdown, the, the, the pursuit is the will of the Father. I want you to do the will of God, and I want you to be equipped fully to do the will of of God. I want you to boldly walk out your days in God's will. What's his will? We have a lot of general forms of his will that we can see over the Bible, from our calling to be missionaries where we live. You don't just go other places. We're missionaries here to God, to being ambassadors for Christ who show the world what he's like, to being members of the body, using the gifts that we have to to build up the body, to, to those who live out their call to holiness, to those who love and serve and share their lives and do good works. These are all a part of God. will. While this is the prayer, he simultaneously deals with our fears, though. Because when we hear the call to do the will of God, when we hear the call to to please the Lord with our lives, we can easily circle back to that lingering question, but what if I can't, though? but I understand that the will of God is is, is what we're aiming for, but what if I don't have what it takes? What, what, What if I fall short? What if I'm not resilient enough? And people are hard. What if I'm not patient enough? What if I'm not wise enough? What if I'm too lazy? What if, what if the reality is, is I, I've tried to do his will a lot and what I keep hitting on the, the, the head is the reality that, man, I'm just selfish and I, I'd rather do other things. What, how do I please God? How do I do his will without? What if I'm too scared, too ordinary, too introverted, too jacked up, too much of a mess? This is why this prayer is good. The prayer is for God to give us everything we need to pull it off. To understand it's not up to what you can muster on your own. It's up to what God will give you to equip you to do his will. And he'll equip you to to have everything good that we could possibly need. The God of peace who brought again the Lord Jesus from the, the dead, equip you with everything good that you could possibly need. The author is wanting us to see here, hey, you don't have to worry about that anymore. The enemy always going to tell you, hey, shame, hey, hide. You don't have what it takes. You're the only one who's going to fail. You'll never be able to, to do this. So the author is saying, hey, I, I don't want you to be worrying about being ill-equipped or under-resourced we don't have to feel deep insecurity over can i pull off the will of god because i i know myself and I don't, I don't know if i can do that because he'll supply everything that we need we don't have to worry about that what if we took that concept to heart what if you actually believed you had what you need to do the will of god it's not a gamble it's not a maybe it's not even that you're going to get it in, in 18 years if you don't fall off the, the spiritual wagon by then. You have everything you need to do the will of God. That would be a deeply powerful message, the, and the enemy doesn't want you to have a hold of that. The cynical crowd among us, my, my homies, may see these, voices, these verses and ask, well, wait a minute, just because the author prays for this, doesn't mean that God's actually going to do it, right? Okay, yes, that's cute. He prays that you would have every good thing to do the will of God, but what, what if he doesn't say yes? What, what if he gives some people all they need but, but not me? What if the, the small group of people are just beyond, like, you need way too much. You're not going to be equipped. What if I'm too weak? What if I'm too far gone or too unfaithful for him to equip me? What if I'm just too distracted? And to that I'd ask the question, have you ever heard a prayer? rhetorical, when someone gives it and you sit back and you go, wait a minute, I don't think you're asking God for anything with that prayer. I think you're telling me something with that oddly specific message that you just spoke right at my head. I think that was a statement directed at my soul. There's a manipulative, not okay way to do that that maybe we've seen, but the author is is praying it in a more healthy way. He's making a statement to us to to lift us up. This isn't a maybe, this is a declaration. We know this because he starts off the prayer with truths about God. The prayer is reminding us, hey, the, the God of peace who does not hate you, he isn't trying to crush you. He's the God of peace, not just metaphorical peace. He's the God who's serious about real peace with you. Though sin has brought all of humanity into strife uh, against and with God, where we've challenged and maligned and and rebelled against him, God saw fit to send Jesus and to make a way out of our problem of sin. It was through Christ's suffering and our place, his atoning work, his blood, that the penalty of our sin, was cleared and paid for fully, finally, and eternally. See, it's the God of peace who brought that way of peace for us by his Son. But here's the beauty, he walked out more than just writing that plan on paper. God supplied what we needed for that plan to actually happen as well. He made the plan, then he actually gave the means for it to happen. When you think, I don't know if God will supply me with what I need. I, I don't know if he'll give me uh, like the, the full gamut of, of all it's going to take for me to, to please him. The author is saying, you mean the God who gave himself, you don't think that he'll give you the rest? The God who sent Christ to die upon the cross, you think at the very end, at the, at the one yard line, he's going to go, nah, I'm done. I, I don't think so. The God who initiated this type of peace in light of our rebellion is not going to quit inside the red zone. He's going to carry the job all the way through. It's not about how much we lack. It's about the character of the father then. He adds to the prayer the God who brought again from the dead our Lord and Jesus. He's gonna pour it on with the character of God, the strength of God and the wisdom of God. God who brought again the uh from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd. We may think, well, God's already done so much. Man. How could we expect him to, to keep doing more? He's given me what I need to be redeemed. It's just too much to think that he's also going to, to give me more in continuing to, to shore up all of my weaknesses so I can do his will. I mean, for God to supply every single believer with everything they need to do the will of God, it just seems like a tall order and too much. That's why the author reminds us that God, who has resurrection on his resume... The God who stole the keys of death in the grave, the same God can easily equip his people to do his will. If God has in his power the reversal of death, not to mention creation and the entire created order, then surely he can equip you and I with the things that we lack internally to do his will. Our hearts may think, okay, but, man, that's a lot of people to keep track of. Like even in a day right now when, when culture just seems like, man, there's just so many people who don't like God. And you're like, but there's still a lot of believers to equip every single believer, all of them for all time, for all the things they need. And that's not just a lot of power. That's a lot of watching out and care and seeing our annoyances to fill the gap. Surely God has bigger things on his, on his mind than supplying me with all the, the internal shortfalls that, that I have. And he's already done enough with sending Jesus to keep track of me just, that just seems like a lot. You know, he probably watches out for the apostle Paul and shores up his weaknesses and the Billy Grahams and the, the successful pastors over time and the big time theologians that we really need. But, but me, I don't know. The prayer addresses that as well when it references the Great shepherd, not just good, not just a shepherd, the great shepherd. Christ isn't just the lamb of God, he's the great shepherd of God. What do shepherds do, right? These, these, these metaphors can, can lose a little bit of their weight because they're disconnected from, from what we do in the reality of our normal lives, but shepherds make it their job and their business to watch out for the sheep. They keep an eye on the entire herd not just a couple of their favorites or their all-stars. A hired hand may, may leave the flock in danger and fall asleep on the job and not really care about the entirety of the herd. A hired hand may be like, if I bring back 80%, it's going to be fine, but the great shepherd doesn't do that. The Lord and Savior is no hired hand. Christ will make it his business to keep his eyes on all that are his own. Think about it this way. With every drop of his blood that he spilled to redeem you, for all that are redeemed with that blood, he'll also carry them home. He'll watch out for them to make sure that you have what you need to do the will of God. This is an encouraging message in hard times. Christ has done enough to save you, and he's going to stick with you to empower and equip you. Like, man, I, I don't know, like, where are you getting that? Are we, how are we doing this? Well, these go directly with Jesus' words himself in the Great Commission, right? Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Right? A lot of you can probably recite part or most of this. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. But then look at the last sentence. And behold, I'm with you always till the end of the age. We get so focused maybe on the the, the make disciples part of the Great Commission and the baptize and the teach and the observe and the the going, which are the kind of external views of, of the doing the will of God the Father part of the Great Commission that we miss the beautiful promise tied to the will of God. Jesus doesn't say, hey, I've done my part. Now I'm done. You get to work. Peace out. He doesn't give you a list of stuff and say, okay, Don't screw this up, all right? I did mine. I did the way heavier stuff. Now now go do this. He doesn't leave you as you are or leave you alone. Christ says, go into the world to do the will of the Father. And each step of the way, know that you aren't alone. I will never leave you or forsake you. You have to decide, okay, is that just kind of some ethereal, like metaphorical thing to say, or, or does Jesus actually mean it? The entire book of John kind of says that Jesus means it. Christ said, hey, when I go... Away, I'm going to send the paraclete, the the helper, the Holy Spirit. It's actually better that I go away because then the Holy Spirit will come and the Holy Spirit will equip and empower and train and encourage and correct and guide you. The Holy Spirit will impart gifts to you to make sure that you are fully equipped. The Holy Spirit will even infuse you with the faith to keep walking forward when you are weak. The message is kind of profoundly clear then. In our shortfalls of looking up, man, I just don't know if I have what it takes. We begin to feel alone and isolated and shameful and weak. But this message is you aren't alone. I won't leave you. And though the enemy's pushing you into shame by telling you you'll never be able to do the will of God, you should just give up. Jesus goes, I I told you I'd never leave you. You're not under-resourced, you're not ill-equipped. Christ supplied all that you need to be redeemed, and then the beauty is in he's still pouring out gifts. Ephesians does a beautiful job of teaching us this. He's still pouring out through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Christ continues to give the church, believers, all who follow him, everything that they need. The great shepherd was not just some random title. It's a reminder. Christ isn't done watching you. And he isn't done guiding you, or leading you, or equipping you, or loving you. Man, Again, that's another beautiful... Me- what if we actually believe that? Not only do we have what we need to do, the will of the Father, but Christ didn't run away, give up, and, and, and stop pouring out love or gifts or ability to us. He's in it all the way. The addition of the wording of by the blood of the eternal covenant bears mentioning here, this would have probably, uh, it means just as much to us now, but it would have dealt probably with a, a major question in, in the original audience's day. They had so many leaders, kings and prophets and priests, just over and over and over again. There's another and another and another. And, and what seemed to be sure to them is just leaders don't last very long. And so the lingering question would have definitely been, well, how do we know that this one will last and this one's work will hold? Because we, we, we kind of continued thinking, hey, we were there and, and this is the leader and all the, we, we thought this over and over and over. How do we know that Jesus will be the one? And the answer is he supplied the blood of the eternal covenant. He's not a seasonal leader, a, fa- a, a fad of a leader, a symbolic leader. Christ was the leader that every leader prior actually pointed towards. And Christ's work will stand over all that he has done for eternity. What's this message? Hey, you don't have to worry about another leader coming to finish the job because Jesus already finished it. He supplied everything that you need. His work won't fade. It won't be outdated, overthrown. You can't outsin it. Christ's blood is eternal and has fulfilled all that you need. Like Hebrews has just been hammering that drum on us. He's given everything right? He's the only one who can sit down where the other priests are running like crazy because their work is never done. This is the eternal one. You don't have to be looking for another leader after that. So you can be sure that you have all that you need through the great shepherd to do the will of God, the Father. Again, this is an encouragement to your heart. Hey, you're thoroughly equipped. Despite how you may feel right now or anything like that or what season you're in right now, you're thoroughly equipped to do the will of God and please God now. When the author says, now may the God of peace, he, he isn't saying, okay, God, please, 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 like, I, I'm, I'm, like I'm trying to build them up. We please give them what they need? And, and the prayer isn't saying, hey, maybe church, if you play your cards right and you, and you do things well to make him happy, then, then he'll give you every good thing. The author is praying so that we'll know with certainty that this will happen. Again, he banks it on God's work and his resume and his character and his role and his promise. All this is to declare as a matter of of fact and, and, and not conjecture. God will give the church, his people, what they need to do as well. You, child of God, aren't lacking anything you need to obey the Lord. You also aren't lacking what you need to carry out his plans. That's heavy because there's a lot of times we feel overwhelmed. I don't know how to do this. I don't, I don't know what to do. And you just don't, hey, you, you have what you need. You aren't lacking what you need to carry out his plans. You aren't lacking what you need to, to live in faith in a broken world. And if you are lacking or, fe- or if you feel like you are lacking, ask your good father to have the Holy Spirit remind you through an infusion of faith that you do have what you need. God is not in the business of leaving his children like orphans. He's paid for them, and then he takes care of them, and he equips them. If there was any doubt left that the God of peace would would equip us, if there's a doubt that the Great Shepherd was still tending the the sheep, the author expands our view even further, right? Because we're we can tend to just focus on us, right? and I just he'll equip me, and and just so I can do his will, and that's a, a zeroing in to the to it only being about you personally doing the, the will of God so that so he smiles upon you. What the author does is he backs up and he goes, hey, you need to understand that you being equipped to do the will of God, and please, God, isn't just about you, it's about the glory of Jesus. God equipping his people to do his will is what will bring glory to the name of the Son over and over and over. What better way to make sure that Christ is glorified than to, through his work, form this people who keep carrying out the will of the Godhead, even in broken cultures and in hard times. See, this is the idea. Christ has done everything. He has blazed the path. He's made the, the, the sacrifice. He's supplied the, the blood. He's paid the price and redeemed people who were once rebels, busted up in their, their sin... And he's so fully saved and so fully redeemed and so fully done this work in them that these once busted up rebels are, are now brand new creations who, who are no longer enemies. They're, they are now sons and daughters and redeemed people who are living holy lives in the middle of the world now. Fully equipped, living out faith, and then waiting on their king going, we have a good promise over us even when culture goes crazy sometimes. This is a glory to Jesus. Right, when they're talking about salt and, and light and in the Bible, this is part of it that people would see and go, man, I just don't understand what's going on or why you do that. And when they hear, no, no, no it's Jesus who's, who's wired my life in this way. He gets glory through this. That ragtag busted up group. I and mean, I saw them before. Now they're holy, sharing their life, loving each other, worshiping. There's a glory that comes to his name through this. Augustine said it long ago, and this text seems to say the same thing. It's from the perspective of God. God, command what you will and give what you command. Right, God, command what you will, your your will, but then give what you command. God the Father, the God of peace, commands for his people, or has commands for his people, and, and those commands... I mean, they, they, they're surrounding our ethics and our pursuits and, and so much and how we engage each other and how we sacrifice. There, there, are, there are a lot of commands, and while some of them can feel uh, just heavy and hard, and in the reality, some of them are hard, and they're not easy, right? To, to, to love your enemy when we've been brutally hurt by people is a, is a hard thing. Not all of his commands are, are easy, so we don't want to trivialize it, but God doesn't command these things in a vacuum. He gives us what we need to walk out those commands. Right? He has commands, but he also supplies what we need to fulfill those commands. So This is a, a continuation of his goodness and his, and his kindness. God has not set up his people to fail. Right? This is not an experiment. Hey, look, let me send Jesus, and I can't believe that he did like 98% of what, what was needed. You couldn't do the last 2%. This, is, this isn't our God. He's given Christ, and through Christ... He'll give us what we need to hold fast to Christ and give us what we need to be equipped to glorify Christ. From every single angle, God has made a plan to redeem his people, hold on to his people and equip them to do his will and glorify the Son. And this is good news if we believe it. It's good news in all times, in seasons of hardship and moments of weakness, in times we doubt or even when the Lord is, is leading us towards something that just feels out of our league or, or over the top or impossible, right? If the Lord is calling us towards something, just like, man, that's just too much. I, I, I think this is the, the wrong message, and for the wrong person, this verse stands as supreme encouragement over your heart. God will give you what you need to do this, and God will give you what you need to please him. He is not capricious. He's not uncaring. And he also hasn't walked away, right? That's the viewpoint of deus. God made this whole thing and then just left us. No, that's, that's, that's not our God. He has been active and is still active in the lives of his people. The call then is to, to lean into the God who would do all this. You have to decide, do I think that's true? And if it is true, you lean into... This God, this is what it is called to to abide all over the gospel of John. Lean into, rely, connect to, get your identity from and your strength from this God. And again, know that you have all that you need to do the will of God. While this text, this is an interesting text because on one side, it's immensely encouraging And on the other side, it's actually a bit challenging as well, because we can't claim if this is true, then that means that so many of the things in our life that maybe we pause or don't go towards or refuse to do, we can't claim anymore, well, I just, I didn't do it because I didn't have what it takes to finish it. It's encouraging, you have what it takes, but it also takes away your excuse, you are equipped to do it. You cannot say, I don't, "Man, I don't have what I need to to do this thing that the Lord is calling me to." We have to wrestle with the words of Philippians two in this light. Philippians two twelve through thirteen. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only is in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. If we have everything we need to do the will of God in our lives, then the question isn't, do I have what I need to please him or do his will? The question becomes, do I want to do his will? Does it matter to me? Is the will of God something that I'm asking the Spirit to show me? Is it something that I'm, that, that I'm interested in? Is it something that I seek or I want to, 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 to kind of walk in and, and, and see fleshed out in my life or is the will of God something that I kind of ignore because I just kind of assume that I'm, that I'm doing it because, because I'm a Christian? Encouraging and heavy. Church, how, how do we view the will of the Father? The text builds us up. Believer, you don't lack anything that you need to do as will. Friends, especially at the end of the summer, right? We, we, a lot of people I've talked to have felt this, like we just kind of feel the, the untetheredness of the summer and we've kind of lost some rhythms, we're going all, the, all over the place, and we've had some fun and vacations, all that. At the end of the summer, it draws us back in and says, hey, you care about the will of God? Be careful to walk out your salvation with, with this type of reverence that it calls fear and trembling that shows a concern and care instead of ignoring the will of God by abiding in the Lord Jesus, saying, hey, what do you want for me? What are you asking for me? What does following you look like? What does faithfulness to you look like? Or are we not asking any of those questions, not pursuing it and seeking maybe the fruit of our own kingdom and our own pleasure and disregarding God's will and thereby disregarding the glory due to Jesus' name? Do you feel the tension there? You have what you need. You're not under equipped. Jesus is with you and He's given you the Spirit to walk with you. Go therefore. And that begs the question, but 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 I want to though. The ending is beautiful because it speaks into where we feel weak. Reminds us that we have a good father and a great savior. But then it challenges us by saying, hey, keep going, though. God has more for you. Even in hard seasons, even in hard cultures, even in distracted moments, God is looking to do more of his will through his church and his people. The question becomes, is that of interest to us, though? As we dive back in the rhythms of a, the, the school year, whether you're in school or not, or have kids or not, just all of our lives kind of change as the rhythms start again. As we kind of dive back into that, some... Uh, some people have, have this kind of fresh, uh, compelling to uh, to evangelize on, on campus and, and, and to college students. And, and that's what you see is the will of God for you right now. And, and some all of a sudden have been f- have feeling compelled to be salt and light or share the gospel in their neighborhood and they've just kind of been putting it off for a better season. And and maybe some feel compelled to, to lead their home in light of the gospel for the first time. Maybe You have a family and young kids, and you just kind of kept going, well, they're too little, they're too little, they're too little, and and God's showing you, hey, my will is for you to, to lead your family in light of what I've done. I don't know what you're compelled towards or what the Lord is leading you towards. This text just stands over you and goes, hey, you have what you need to do it, though. You don't have to pause, you don't have to slow play, you don't have to wonder, and you don't have to crush yourself in shame, going, I just don't think I can do it. God is with you the same God that has resurrection on his resume, you have what you need. And if the Lord has called you towards something for a while and you just kind of keep back it for a while, today as we sing and worship and close, would you pray that the Holy Spirit would give you the faith to believe that you're equipped to do his will? And if you've been maybe too distracted, we just ask the Lord today, hey, I kind of assumed your will a whole lot more than pursued it. Will you speak to me again and show me what you want? From a small conversation to a big decision, will you just show me what you want from me? I love the ending of this book, friends. Because it would be hard to do 13 chapters of don't quit, don't quit, don't quit without being reminded, hey, you're equipped to see some beautiful things happen for the will of God. The church gets to walk out the will of God, please God, making him smile over his people. Christ makes sure that we have what we need to do it. And Christ gets glorified as we walk it out. The challenge is to believe that to be true and ask the Lord to see the will of the Father and have the strength to walk it out together. That's what I hope for us. Like That's how we land the plane. We don't want to become bitter or cynical or just go, well, I'm just going to like, uh, hold on until the end. Or Father, show us that we have what we need to do your will. Give us vision, again, to see what you're asking of us and give us maybe encouragement to go and see your name glorified more and more and more. Man, you guys can come back up. We'll take communion in worship today. 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 26 says, For I receive from the Lord what I also deliver to you. That the Lord Jesus on the night when he's betrayed, he took bread. When he gave it thanks, he broke it. And he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup, is the, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Friends, we get to come back to the table and we get to partake once again, reminding ourselves Christ's work is already finished. He he, he is the priest that gets to sit down. It is finished. You have everything you need to be redeemed and to be saved and adopted into the family of God. You are a new creation. You get to come and take and be reminded of that. Ask the Lord to strengthen you in that. And you get to walk out the will of God. For, For many of us who deal with, whether it's imposter syndrome or just feeling like we're just a disappointment over and over, this message is meant to be encouraging to you. God has given what you, you what you need to do his will and please him. Don't, don't feel so busted up and broken up. Go, let there be vision again. Let there be encouragement again to walk out the will of God, but you come to the table and take it. You don't have to make it happen. You rest in what Jesus has done. I pray that our hearts would be encouraged in that, guys.